This morning, I would like to ask you if you would open your Bibles to Daniel 3. And if you didn't think to bring a Bible, there might be one in the rack of a chair in front of you or near you. Um, And if you have the Bible app, you can follow along there as well. I want to talk to you a little bit about security and insecurity today. I was um, with a group of men yesterday. I learned a new word. It came from Matt McCracken. Matt teaches me many things. Um, It's not a word. It's actually two words, maybe hyphenated. Doom scrolling. How many have ever heard that before? You ever heard that before? Three of us, yeah. Matt's wife and Sean and me, right? Okay, yeah. Um, but even though you never heard it before, you know exactly what it is, right? Doom scrolling. It's just getting on the news or social media or whatever and scrolling and just feeling a sense of doom because of all the stuff that you're seeing there, right? Um, e- even sports, you know. I'm on Twitter, I'm following sports things, and I'm like, what? Roethlisberger's retiring? What will happen now? You know, and, and that makes me feel a little insecure. And uh, then I read about what's going on in uh, Ukraine and Russia, and I feel a little less secure. And then I read about the Mideast, and then I read about Washington and Harrisburg and Clearfield County, and my family, and I'm just really insecure from all the doom scrolling, right? Yeah, I think insecurity is a word that we don't use a lot, but it is a word. It is a word that um, maybe would be helpful for us to, to think about and to consider how are we dealing with that sort of thing. In fact, if I say this to you, if I say, you know Joey, right? You know Joey, he's really insecure. What goes through your head when I say that? What does insecure mean to you? It means he's filled with anxiety. A definition says he's filled with fear, maybe self-doubt, maybe a lack of dependability or, or certainty on his part. Not a lot of confidence there. He's plagued by insecurity. Not a lot of assurance, uh, not a lot of stability. You really didn't need to have those definitions thrown at you in order to know that you don't want to be characterized as someone who is insecure. You don't want to be Joey. In fact, you probably don't even want to hang around Joey a whole lot because insecurity is not a good quality. I really want to say three things to you about security today, about insecurity. First, I want to say that first one. Insecurity is not a good quality. Second, I want to add to that. Insecurity is a dangerous quality. And third, I want to say to you, insecurity is something you can avoid, something you can be rid of in your life. So we're going to go through Daniel 3, and we're going to just uh, kind of talk about the story, and then we're going to make some observations about it. If your Bible's open in chapter 1 of Daniel 3, you can see, I'm sorry, in verse 1, rather, of Daniel chapter 3, you can see Nebuchadnezzar, the king, is on a power trip. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold six cubits high, sorry, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide and set it on a plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Now, if you don't know what a cubit is, uh, scholars think it's about 18 inches. So that's a 90-foot statue that he's got there. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials so that to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Let me just make a couple of uh, observations here. One, we don't know what the image was. We don't know what it looked like. We don't know who it was. Is it Nebuchadnezzar? Maybe, but probably not. Is it an image of a god, maybe an idol? More likely, because before the story's out, they're going to be directed to bow down to it, and you only bow down to gods. 
The reason we don't think it was Nebuchadnezzar is because you did not consider him a god. Egyptian culture saw Pharaoh as a god, but Nebuchadnezzar would not have called himself a god to be worshipped in that manner. We don't know too much about the image. And the reason is the image is not the point of the story. What I do want to point out just in this part of the story is that these people, these people who are gathered together are important people. It's not the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. It's not those people. It's people who are high-ranking governmental officials. Some of them native to Babylon. They grew up in Babylon and they have a position there serving the king. And others are more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Jewish people. These are Jewish young men who actually were captured when Babylon went to Israel, went to Jerusalem, and took the best of them back to serve in uh, the palace of the king. And they were placed in service there. That's kind of important to know, that the people who are here are people who are governmental representatives and governmental officials. And you'll see why that's important in a few moments. Let's go to verse four. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every nation, of of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, zither rather, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. That's quite an order, isn't it? Now, let me just kind of give you a picture of the blazing furnace, if I could, because when I was a kid, I kind of had that as the coal furnace down in the basement. It's not exactly that, right? Um, what would have happened, this is what scholars say would have happened, is they would have had a mound that they made on the plain of Dura, an earthen mound with a cylindrical hole in it that they would have had to fire down in that hole. And in that mound, they would have had tunnels that are coming in from all directions to provide for a vent, to provide for a draft so that it could be heated. And then if they want it to be hotter, they move more air, they open up those vents more and make it even hotter. And that's going to be important because somebody a couple somebodies, three somebodies are going to fall into that. And I always wondered, how do you fall into a coal furnace? Well, if it's a big hole on top of a mound, you're up on top of that and you're thrown into it, you fall into it. It's quite an order though. You're going to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And there's no real information that tells us they knew this was coming. They weren't told ahead of time. It's kind of like, here's where the herald explains it in verse four. It's thrust upon them and they comply. In fact, there's no evidence at all of any dissension. Verse 7 says, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples from every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But then there's a problem. There's a problem. It begins in verse 8. In verse 8, it says, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. And in order to avoid some redundancy, let's go to verse 12. It says, there are some Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And the king, he is smoking mad. He is angry. Well, verse 13 says, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is this true? Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? And then surprisingly, 
he gives them a second chance. I say it's surprising because remember, at first it said, you'll be thrown immediately into the furnace. But he's given them a second chance. And he adds a question. In verse 15, he says, now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And these three men have an answer. In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. And then they made what one commentator noted is probably one of the most powerful statements of faith in all of scripture. Listen to what they say. Verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Wow. That's gutsy. That's powerful. They know that means they're going into the furnace. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace, and the furnace so hot that the flames from the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, these three men, firmly tied, fell into the furnace. It seems like that would be the end of the story. Let's go ahead and pronounce the benediction and go home. And it would be the end of the story, except something strange is happening. Take a look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'll just say that many scholars conjecture that this fourth person is Jesus. It's Christ. And they have good reason for that. They feel like it is God who is there because look at the language, a son of the gods, and think as well about the, the odds that the son of God would not be the son of the gods there. On top of that, on top of that, Jesus is the one member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the one member of the Godhead who took on flesh, the one member of the Godhead who was incarnate, which means enfleshed. And so scholars conjecture that this is Christ in the flesh, in the fire, with these men. And it kind of makes sense that it would be. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, the psalmist says. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know who it is. So in verse 26, we read, Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening 
to the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. I think it's funny that he doesn't want the fourth guy to come out. (laughs) I don't know who that is, but leave him in there. (laughs) Right? And the man come out of the fire. At the end of verse 26 says, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And then a couple things, a couple really neat things happen. Nebuchadnezzar is shocked. God is glorified. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get a promotion. Listen to it. Verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that people of any nation and language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their homes be turned into piles of rubble, for no god can save in this way. No other god can save in this way. And then verse 30, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow, what a story. What a cool, cool Bible story. Now, there are a hundred different things you can pull from this uh, passage, many, many great lessons that you can take out of it. But what I would like to ask you to do is to give some thought to the role of security, not like a security guard, but rather just security and insecurity, the role that they play in this story. And I want to suggest to you that insecurity is volatile. It's explosive. Have you ever considered what in the world would make Nebuchadnezzar choose to do this? What precipitated his decision to build an image of gold 90 feet high, at least it's gold plated or inlaid with gold, 90 feet high, and have everybody come out and bow down before it. What's going on? That's a big statue. Uh, You know, to get some perspective, I have an image for you on the screen here. Um, The images that you're looking at there in Egypt, they're called the Colossi of Memnon. Do you see the people standing around the bottom of them? Those images are 60 feet high. You're going to have to add 30 more feet if you're going to have an image the size of the one that was on the plain of Dora. It's a big event. What would make... Nebuchadnezzar do this. And he's got every political leader you can imagine. You know, when I was reading that, the governor, the satrap, the this, the that, I felt like it was a Dr. Seuss book almost, you know? All those people that are coming there, this is, this is like it's beyond the State of the Union address. Everybody is there who is in power. Just about everybody. And there's a command coming. The king has this idea, I'm going to command that everybody bow down, and if they don't, I'm going to throw them into a furnace. Why would he do that? Well, I have an idea. It's not my own. As I was researching this, I learned that uh, Babylonian history tells us that around this time period, there was a revolt in Babylon, a coup, so to speak, because a group was trying to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar as king. Let's get him out of here. Let's put a new king in. And so some scholars feel that this may have been Nebuchadnezzar's way of testing the loyalty of his people and of cementing his authority, firming his rule up. And if that's the case, think about this. 
If that's the case, then this whole gathering on the plain of Dora is a manifestation of one man's insecurity. (laughs) Insecurity. It is volatile. And it is kind of fair to say that insecurity actually ignited the flames of the fiery furnace. It acts as kindling to the fires of evil. Insecurity actually can be so volatile, it can turn you against others. Hey, can I pet your dog? Yeah, just don't scare him. What do you mean? Don't scare my dog. Why? Because if you scare him, he might bite you. Frightened animals do that, right? They can be dangerous when they're afraid. Well, insecure people can be dangerous as well. Very dangerous. Insecurity burned in the hearts of these astrologers who went and tattletailed on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for not bowing down. They literally sent those three men to die because of their insecurity. There are some Jews who uh, you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're paying no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor do they worship the image of gold you've set up. Why did those astrologers do that? Part of the answer is insecurity. And here's how we know that. They had reason to be insecure. We're in chapter 3 of Daniel right now, but if we went back two chapters and we would learn about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. That was their Hebrew names. If we, if we read chapter 1 and learned about what they had been through there, we would come to the end of that and we would read this. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. The them there is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ten times smarter than anybody else, you know? They're the kids at school that break the curve. You remember those kids? Yeah, right? No wonder the magicians were against them because of their insecurity toward them. You see it again at the end of the next chapter. In chapter 2 of Daniel, Daniel has this incredibly impossible task of interpreting a dream. And everyone's going to be killed if they can't interpret this dream. And and God gives Daniel the interpretation and everyone then is saved. And at the end of chapter two of Daniel, we read these words. It says, moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as administrators in the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. That would make the other administrators pretty jealous. That would make them kind of envious. That would give them an insecure jealousy regarding their relationship with these Jewish boys that have just come into town, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Insecurity produces volatility because insecurity can actually make the fire blaze when plans fail. Nebuchadnezzar, he is on fire like that furnace. He had, he had, I'm sorry, he had planned to prove himself as an absolute monarch. There is no other but me. I am going to put an end to all this talk of overthrowing my kingdom. I am going to bring every leader out of the city, not the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, but every leader to this place on the plain of Dora, and they will obey my command, and they will bow down, and I will reestablish my authority in all of Babylon. And then these three Jewish guys come along and foul up the whole thing. They mess up the whole thing and he feels, Nebuchadnezzar feels threatened. 
he feels the insecurity raging inside of him. And he throws them into the fire. Now, when he throws them into the fire, we see something else about insecurity. The first thing, you see it on the screen there, it's the second line from the top. Insecurity is volatile, it's explosive. But when they get into the fire, we realize this, that trust actually extinguishes the flames of insecurity and the burn of insecurity. No one ever reads this story and thinks, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had some insecurity problems. Not at all. They are secure, and the reason they are secure is because they trust in God. Let me say that another way. We are secure when we put our trust in God. And that's really the only thing you can put your trust in. They didn't put their trust in Daniel. They didn't put their trust in how good they'd been in the past. They didn't put their trust in Nebuchadnezzar, who has loved them all this time. Their trust was in God. And we are secure when we trust in God. Listen again, if you would, to their response when the king threatens them personally. It's in verse 16. It says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Huh. I'm trusting God, and he's going to deliver me from this, and even if he doesn't deliver me from this, I'm trusting God. That's a powerful kind of statement. Let me talk to you just for a moment about this kind of faith. I've been in small groups where people have made this kind of comment. I do not agree with it. They've said something like this. You know, if you're asking God for something and you give provision in your prayer for that something to not come to pass, you're giving God a loophole and you're not asking in faith. Have you come upon anyone doing something like that, saying something like that? Often such people will say, you know, whenever you pray, God, if this is your will, we would ask that you do this. That's, that's a sign of weak faith. It's a sign of weak faith. It's wrong. And these people would never say something like, we trust you, God, to do this, but even if you don't do this, nope, don't add that second thing. You're showing that you have no faith. And they may rebuke you for praying that way or talking that way. It just kind of seems to me that if those individuals were around Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego at this point, they'd have to interrupt them and rebuke Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, you can be sure that these boys were praying like crazy. They wouldn't end up in there. They're, they're men of faith, but that's a hot furnace, right? And they are on the spot like they haven't been on the spot maybe ever before in their life. They were hoping and praying that they would not go into the fire, but they say this, even... If he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold God set up. That is real faith. That is genuine faith. It's real faith because it's pure trust. It's trusting that God is good. It's trusting that God is wise. It's trusting that God is active. It's trusting that God is in control. It's trusting that whatever God does or even permits to happen is okay because he is a good father. And you trust him. And it's the opposite of insecurity. 
pure trust, it extinguishes the burn of insecurity. They trusted God because they knew who he was. They trusted him because of love. Now, the passage doesn't say they love God. It doesn't say that he loved them. But the reality is you don't allow yourself to be thrown into the fire for someone you don't love. It just doesn't happen. And love is incredibly powerful, especially when it comes to fear, because there is no fear in love, the scripture says. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. Being loved and loving in return extinguishes insecurity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a story of the power of security that comes from the love of God. Let me ask you something. What fire are you facing? (laughs) Maybe I should have put what fires are you facing. The whole time I was writing this sermon, I was facing a fire. Just, wow. How am I going to deal with this? Just facing a fire. You face a lot of them, right? We all do. Health-related. Financial fires. Relationships that are volatile and sometimes explosive. A loss of power or status that you once had. Someone bullying you. Someone mocking you. Someone, someone picking on you on Facebook or whatever. All those fires, from great furnaces to those stinking little fires that just sting like crazy. What fire are you facing? And more importantly, what is that fire doing to you? What is it doing to you? Is it robbing you of your security? Are you reacting to it like Nehemiah? Are you scheming? Nehemiah, that was the scheme he had. That whole thing about that 90-foot statue and everything else, it's just a big scheme to remedy his insecurity, his fear that he'll lose what he has. He wants to be free of that. Didn't work. Are you scheming? Are, are, Are you burning with anger? Because Nehemiah was, and sometimes we want to burn with anger when things don't go our way. Am I saying Nehemiah? How many times have I done it? Three times. How many times? I'm looking at my wife. She's over there going, bah, 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 and I'm like, did I spell scheming wrong? <laughs> How many of you, when I said Nehemiah, you automatically replaced it with Nebuchadnezzar in your brain? I love you guys. I love you guys. I love you guys. Okay, let's start over. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar had a great scheme put in place. A great scheme put in place. What about you? Is that how you're going to deal with this, through scheming? Nebuchadnezzar was burning with anger. How about you? Is that how you're going to deal with the fire you're facing? Or or what about just fearfully trying to eliminate your alleged adversary by conniving and manipulating, perhaps? I know that none of us are trying to throw anybody into a furnace on top of a mound of ground on a plane of Dura. But are any of us taking steps that we know that's just not right? That's just not right what I'm doing here. And I'm doing this wrong thing because of my insecurity. There's a lot of Nebuchadnezzar in me. (laughs) I don't want to be marked by that kind of insecurity. I don't want to be a schemer. I don't want to be someone burning with anger. I don't want to be someone fearful and conniving. If you don't want to be marked by such insecurity, then what are you doing 
to prepare for the fire? What can you do to prepare for it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found security in God. You know, they're aliens, they're foreigners here, even prisoners in Babylon. And yet they had seen the hand of God in their lives again and again. We, we talked about it at the end of chapter 1 when they were 10 times better than everybody else. And, and then at the end of chapter 2 when they were appointed to this position because of what God did in Daniel's dream and showing Daniel the dream rather. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, 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 prepared for, they prepared for the fire by the way they focused their attention. Let me tell you, they could have focused their attention completely differently. And this might be the way I would have focused my attention. (laughs) Here we are. We're going into the fire. It's not bad enough that we were taken from our homes in Jerusalem. It's not bad enough that we were taken prisoner here in Babylon. It's not bad enough that we're serving this foreign God and missing what it's like to live back in the Holy Land and the Promised Land. It's not bad enough, but now we're going into the fire. Man, Things, bad things just keep happening to me again and again and again. I would have been deeply tempted to respond that way at this point. But they didn't. Their focus was different than that. And that is what gave them security. Their focus was on God's faithfulness. We believe he will deliver us from your hand, king. And even if he doesn't, we're okay with that because we know who he is. And we know what he's like. And he's a good father. I want to give you three things that you can do. Three things that you can do to prepare for the fire. Because we all got fires in front of us. All of us. And this first one's going to sound a little familiar. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. I pour contempt on all my pride. See from his hands, his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ere such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Look to the cross. Because when you look to the cross of Jesus, what you see is a God who loves you deeply, deeply. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Number one, look to the cross. Number two, look to God's call in your life. If you are a believer, if you are a Christ follower, that wasn't your idea. You didn't get in your head, hey, I think I'm going to find a God who maybe died for my sins. I wonder if there's any around. None of us got that. But rather, a still quiet voice of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, said, come, come. Softly, tenderly, Jesus calling, come home, come to me. If you're a Christian, you heard that voice. What's really weird is I forget that I heard that voice sometimes. But if I look back at that and say, yeah. You know, in Revelation, there's a passage where it talks about those of God overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb, that's the cross, and the word of their testimony, that's a remembrance of their calling and a response to it. 
if you want to avoid insecurity and walk in the security of God, remember that he called you. And he tells this parable about a guy that had 100 sheep and lost one of them and left the 99 and went and got the one. And the point is that you should feel such great love and security in Christ because if you were the only one he needed to die for, he'd have done it. Do you understand that? I don't, (laughs) right? But I trust it. And I believe it. And so when insecurity comes knocking at your door about how you look or about how you speak or the fact that you said Nehemiah not once but three times in a row in a sermon, right? When it comes knocking at your door, you say, that is not, that is not what I'm looking at. I am looking at the cross of Christ. I am looking at the fact that he came and got me. And number three, if you want to prepare for the fire, remember all the other fires he's delivered you from over and over and over and over. I got to tell you, I, uh, I just feel like uh, anxiety is the new depression. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? Because I feel it. I think we all feel it. I think it's because we're overwhelmed with so much doom scrolling in our life. And so much of that. And it just fills us with anxiety. And, and so I, I worry about finances, I worry about the stock market, I worry about my kids, I worry about my wife, I worry about myself, I worry about you guys. And, and then occasionally I'll think back and I'll say, you dummy, you've been through so much worse than this. And he was always faithful for you, always faithful for you. And now I've kind of added a thing to that. Just in the past couple months I've added this. I can't wait till I'm done with this so I can look back and say, look how faithful he was then. I can't wait to see what he does in May of 2020. So in May of 2025, I can look back and say, look what he did. Did I get my numbers mixed up there? How many of you fixed it in your head? God bless you. I love you. I knew I messed it up. I just look at Laurel and she's like, don't do that. When I was young, she would say, did you leave your notes at that time, Steve? Yeah, I did. You wonder why I take 11 pages? That's why. (laughs) Recount God's deliverance from your fires of the past. I want to pray that you could do those three things. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand up and we'll pray. So as we prepare to pray, what fire are you facing? What fire are you facing? Is it making you feel insecure? And do you find yourself tempted to behave like Nebuchadnezzar? To manipulate, to connive, to scheme, to get angry? You don't have to. And you don't want to, because you don't want to be Joey. Nobody wants to be around Joey, that insecure guy, right? You want to be secure. You know that it's hazardous to be insecure. You know it's beautiful to find security. And you should know, after today that you will find it in one place, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray that we can do that. Lord Jesus, as we give thought to this story, as we prepare for the fire, we remember you on the cross. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for a friend. 
Thank you for doing that. Being loved that way, perfect love casts out all fear. So we set aside that fear and anxiety. May it be vanquished from our lives by the presence of your love. May we recall that we belong to you. That one day in our past, softly and tenderly, Jesus called us. And we said, yes. And now you are our father and you are a good, good father. Man, if us being evil know how to treat our sons and daughters well, how much more do you, our heavenly father, treat us well? May we recount that treatment, that deliverance from fires of the past so that we can face the fires of the future securely in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.